morning, everyone. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. We're in Genesis chapter 3 as we continue this series, as we think about the king, the snake, and the promise. So Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1. Last week, we were thinking about creation, and this week, we're thinking about the fall. We're doing a, a Bible overview uh, over summer, uh, a 10-week series. So this morning, we're looking at the fall. So Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to begin to read at verse 1 this morning. This is God's Word to us. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we made of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made for themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man said to his wife, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because of this and because of what you have done, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and of the dust you shall eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman." between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The woman, he said, and to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. You shall have pain and bring forth children. You shall desire, for your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, you should, shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Amen. And we thank God for His Word to us this morning. Now, we're in Genesis chapter 3. 
If you have your Bible, please do open it with me as we look at the fall. And we are going to think about that same question. Where did it all go wrong? How did we end up here? How did it end up like this? Questions that I asked in primary school to mum and dad. Why did my goldfish die? Why does that boy kick me in the playground every day at school? Why does the teacher shout a lot? Why are there army checkpoints everywhere around Portadown? And then some more serious questions. Why did people fly a plane into the Twin Towers? Why did Granda die? Why is Granny sick? All questions that I asked whenever I was a young boy at primary school. And this morning, as we come to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see the origins of this all. We're going to try and understand where sin, or how sin came into this world. How do we understand sin? How do we understand death? What are our answers for war and for famine, for earthquakes and tsunamis? What do we do with lies and murder and adultery? How do we have dysfunctional relationships with parents or, or with our friends, with partners, with family? Hatred, gossip, what do we do with all of these things? All of these broken things in our world, what do we do with pain? What do we do with suffering? What's our answer? Well, we don't have to be left stumped this morning. We don't have to be left trying to come up with an answer ourselves. Instead, we get to go right to where it all began, right back into Genesis 3. And as we go into Genesis 3, we're thinking about these questions. How do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Where did it all go wrong? And we want to be equipped with the knowledge that Genesis 3 gives us. And so humanity falls. Everything was perfect last week. All was good. Everything was well. Everything was very good. And then Genesis 3 starts, verse 1, and the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field. And we know that things aren't right. So what is wrong with the world? Well, G.K. Chesterton said this whenever he was asked, what's wrong with the world? He said, I am. And that's part of the answer, isn't it? We are, our hearts are evil and corrupt. Now today that might be really offensive for some of us to hear that we are evil and corrupt. It's not the, the message that the world promotes. The world promotes a different message to us, that we're all good, that we're all lovely, that we're all really, really nice people. And if things go wrong, well, it's not really our fault. But we're going to see this morning that it actually inside of us is the problem. And so we fall into sin. As Chesterton says, he's the problem. We're all the problem. But also the creation falls. Humans fall and creation fall in sin. And everything is broken. Things are not how they were supposed to be. This world is not how it was supposed to be. And as we try to piece our way through this this morning in Genesis 3, we're going to see three things. Satan deceives. Sin destroys and the Savior will deliver. Satan deceives, sin destroys, and the Savior will deliver. And within that, we're going to see our selfish desire coming through as well. So the context of Genesis 3, last week, God's people in God's place under God's rule. A little graphic for us, God's people, God's place under God's rule. And now the narrative zooms right in on Adam and how things are going to fall apart. A couple of things by way of introduction. Do we believe in an historical Adam? Was there really a man called Adam? Did he really live in a garden called Eden? Yes. This isn't just a, a story, some sort of notion, some, something pieced together. This is historical fact. We want to believe in a, in a historical Adam. 
And why? Well, Jesus believed in a historical Adam. And then if we look at Paul's writings in Romans chapter 5, if you want to do this later on, Romans chapter 5 and in 1 Corinthians 15, the historical Adam is true. Then secondly, was there really a talking snake in the garden? What's going on here in Genesis? Well, to lean on Don Carson, he says that the serpent may be the embodiment of Satan himself or a symbol for Satan. He said, we're not sure of how animals and humans communicated in the garden pre the fall, but he says that's not the point. It's not the point of the story. So don't let that distract us this morning. He says the main thing is that the serpent comes and he questions God's word. So with that, verses 1 through 5, Satan deceives. So for the first time here, what do we see going on? Well, verse 1, did God actually say? See the question? The first time in all of humanity that God's Word is questioned. What does the serpent do? He takes this, this form of Scripture of God's Word, and he puts it in the dock. And so for the first time, humans stand, and they judge, they rule over God's Word. Did God actually say? What does he do? plants this little seed of doubt into Adam and into Eve's mind. And throughout this passage, there's so much that we could look at, but Adam here, he's the, he's the federal head of humanity, right? He's, he's the representative of God. And in this moment, Adam, as the first man, the head of all creation, he's on probation. It's called what some theologians call the probationary period. He's, he's on trial. Humanity is on trial. Will they worship God or will they not? And so as the serpent comes, Adam is the perfect prophet, priest, and king at this stage. He should rule over the serpent. As king, he should banish the serpent. He should say, you can't question God's word. As prophet, he should speak God's word perfectly back to the serpent. And yet, note the absence. Did God actually say? And then the woman replies, verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, an absence of Adam and his role. And so Eve replies, and notice what she does here. In verse 2, she, she diminishes God's word, she adds to his word, and she softens God's word. She changes it all. Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, we'll see the original context of this. So chapter 2, verse 16 and verse 17, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the original word. Look at how Eve changes it. She diminishes it. She changes God's words in 2.16 and says that, uh, that fails to mention the generosity of God in every tree. They had every tree of the garden apart from one. She takes away from his word. Then she adds to it. See what she does? We shall not touch it. She's adding extra provision on. And then she softens it. She leaves out the surely die. And so the punishment is brought into question. Eve fails. Adam fails. And so the cracks are starting to appear. And what do they want in this moment? It's a longing for freedom. They think that God's rule is repressive or oppressive. They, they feel like they need to burst this rule apart. And that's what the, the serpent does. He's crafty, right? 
He's crafty. He, he starts to say, God's, God's keeping something from you. He's holding something back from you. You need, to, you need to explore this. You need to burst apart the bonds that are holding you back. And so humanity thinks that it is oppressed and that there's freedom here to be grasped. But actually, we know that it's not freedom at all. So sin destroys. Sin destroys us. It destroys humanity. And where does this sin come from? It it comes from deep inside our hearts. That's where it grows. That's the soil in which sin grows. Inside of our heart, and, and we talk about this often at church, that inside of our heart, we have the capability of every sin. You know that moment where you talk about such and such a person and they've fallen into some great sin? You think, oh, that could never happen to me. Inside our hearts, the soil for every sin is there, and that's the the, the soil in which it grows, the human heart. And so, whenever we we have our our sin and sin enters the world, we have many selfish desires. That's how it plays itself out. That's what we see here, actually, in Eve. Her selfishness, Adam's selfishness. And so, Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, with irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. Not hatred of God, but we forget God. And that's what happens Eve here. She has this conversation, and God starts to fall away into the background. Look look at verse verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired. See how it grows in her? Then she takes its fruit, and she eats of it, and she gives it to her husband. It's the squeal of our hearts. I want more, more. Give me more. I want, I want, I want. And humanity humanity here wants more. The generosity of God is not enough. All of His provision in the garden, think of the beautiful garden they have, all the trees they have to eat of, and it's not enough. God is not enough. And they don't hate God in this moment, but they start to forget about Him. They see this fruit. They're captivated by the fruit. They're drawn to it like a magnet, and their hearts are starting to be exposed. Satan doesn't fill their heart with hatred, but with forgetfulness. And so this doubt was planted. The desire starts to grow, and it entangles her heart, and she tastes it, and she wants it. And it's as if they're saying, God isn't enough. God, you've been too stingy. We wanted every single tree. That one tree that's out of bounds, we want it. Madness, isn't it? the provision that they have, the generosity of God in the garden, and yet they want more, exposing our hearts. And so Eve's heart is wooed, wooed to be her own queen. She wants to be her own queen, to know, to know this good and the evil. She wants to be her own person. She wanted to be like God. They want to undermine God's authority, and so they rebel. Another commentator says this, they mistrusted God, and they grasped at life on their own terms. And so they ate of this fruit. And in that moment, whenever they sin, they lose something, and it's been lost forever since. 
they lose the sense of God's glory. In the moment of sin, perfection is lost. No more perfection. The relationship between God and man destroyed. History changed forever. Humanity on a new course. And look at verse 7. Instantly, instantly they know that they have lost something. They've been robbed of something. Their eyes are opened. And what had happened? Well, the lie that Satan told them in verse 5, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. They thought it would make them equal in power and wisdom to God, that they would be like God, their own gods. And it was a lie. They would not be like God. They would not be Him. But in a sense, they would know good and evil, yes. God does not know evil. It's not part of His character. He has no shadow of darkness in Himself. He is good completely. He knows of evil, but it's not part of Him. It's not part of His character. He knows about it, but He doesn't know it in Himself. And in this moment, Adam and Eve are changed. They don't just know good and evil. They know it internally. And so, it's a little like us knowing about COVID. We've all heard about COVID-19 on our TVs and radios and different articles. We know about it. We know even its, its little picture whenever it appears on the screen and its, its little uh, form of, of genetics and all the rest of it. We can read and know all about it. But whenever you contract COVID, it's so different. Now you don't just know about it, but you know it inside of you. The disease is in you. You know it from the inside out. It's doing something to your body. It's fighting against your body. And it's a very different level, knowing about it and knowing it internally. And so this is what happens with sin and good and evil. Adam and Eve know it, not just about it, but know it internally. They will not be God, but they will be like God in this sense. And yet different. And so they know good and evil in a way that God doesn't know evil, and it leads to death. And in that moment, sin enters, and it changes their very DNA. It changes the, the genetic structure of who we are, spiritually speaking. And so this is what we call original sin. It's just a term that we use. It's this original sin that happens, and then what happens is it cascades from Adam through to each of us, each of us following his bloodline. And so humanity would never be born perfect again. Children, they look so pure and spotless, little cradles of endless potential, but actually, they're just as evil. They're totally depraved. They are sinful, and they deserve death, and we deserve death because we're all born with this, this big problem. And so, a, a theologian called Bavink, Herman Bavink, writes this. He says, Adam's sin was a reversal of all the created relationships and a rebellion against God that is decisive for the whole world. This moment changes everything, and it changes it for each of us here today. Calvin will talk about how this sin is hereditary. It's passed down one to the next, corrupt and perverse in our nature. It renders us guilty, Calvin says, to the wrath of God. See how serious this is? Our first parents rebel, sin enters, we're under God's wrath, everything is falling apart. 
Death is the consequence. God's glory has departed from our first parents. And so the Westminster Confession of Faith, as Presbyterians, this is the, the document, the framework that we have as we interpret the Bible. In the Westminster Confession, in chapter 6, it says this, by this sin, Adam and Eve fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and they became dead in sin, wholly defiled in all of their faculties and parts of soul and body. Things are not good for us. Now, what is it like for us? How does this all play out? How does Genesis 3, how do we know Genesis 3 to be true? Well, in a sense, we all, we all experience this loss. We're all born with a sense of loss. It's what Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about, a memory. This memory of whenever things were perfect, we're all born with this memory. That we're made for more, that there's something better, that there's something higher, something eternal. A deep sense that each of us have been robbed of something, robbed in our hearts. There's something missing something that we were designed to experience that we're not experiencing. And so Wordsworth says it's like we have been plunged into sin, into, into water, and we're grasping, gasping for air, for a diviner air. We're looking for that thing that we were created for. And so each of us have this, and this memory lingers in our mind for something bigger, something higher, something outside of ourselves, something that we're destined for, we're trying to recapture what we've lost. And so for us, it looks like this. We crave connection, don't we? Each of us, as we, as we have this distant memory of Eden in ourselves, we, we crave a connection. Why is that? Well, the intimacy of relationship between us and God has been lost. It's been torn asunder. It's been destroyed. And so we long for community, a sense to belong, to be valued. We long for deliverance. This memory creates in us this idea that the world is broken. We all know it to be broken, that there's a big problem. And so we long for paradise in France on our holidays or in Spain or in Switzerland if we go to ski or in Florida at Disneyland. We're searching for paradise. We want Eden back. And we know whenever we go to France and Spain and all of these different places, it never fulfills we're longing for that paradise again, that memory in our minds somewhere deep inside of us that we know. So what do we try to do to achieve paradise? Well, political activism. We try to legislate our way out of this problem of sin. And so we pin our hopes on political parties and ideologies. We, we pin our hope on political action. And we try to liberate ourselves to reach this paradise. If only we get rid of this problem in our society, if only if we get rid of these types of people in our society, if only we make this law and that law, everything will be perfect again. And all it does is drive a wedge deeper into our society. And then destiny. Each of us have this sense of destiny inside of ourselves. We feel like we're insignificant, but yet we're still part of something bigger. And we'll say to ourselves that we're masters of our own fate, captains of our soul, but really inside of each of us, we are afraid. We're terrified. We're terrified of death. The curse that comes in Genesis 3. And so there's something wrong with us. 
and we can't quite figure it out. Each of us know this in our hearts. We know it to be true. And Genesis 3 diagnoses that for us this morning. And the problem is sin. We have fell into sin. We have fallen into sin. And so humanity and creation has fallen into sin. And sin has consequences very quickly for us. Sin has several consequences in this passage. It's, it's like this fruit. It promises so much. We taste it and it gives us indigestion as a people. Sin has consequences. Look at verses 12 through 13. What's the consequence? Well, it destroys relationships. It's the first argument, argument between a man and his wife. Sin comes and it, it starts the blame game. Adam blames the woman, and then he blames God, and the woman blames the serpent, and they're all blaming one another. Things start to fall apart. Verse 16, there's going to be, there's going to be great discord between man and woman, a consequence of sin. It'll destroy the land, verse 17 through 19. There's going to be th thorns and thistles. It's going to be hard work. It affects all of creation. And then sin destroys fellowship with God, verses 22 through 24. This great gap opens up between us and God. The relationship broken. And so Genesis 3 is a dark place. All seems hopeless in Genesis 3. Adam falls, and as he falls, he carries us all with, it, with himself. We're in an awful state. We can't save ourselves. Humanity has fallen into sin. We are therefore all implicated in this, under judgment, under God's wrath, destined for death. But then the Savior delivers. The promise of the Savior comes. And as we stand this morning with our hearts exposed a little bit, as we sit here this morning and our hearts are open and we see the problem, What's the solution? What's the remedy? Well, the remedy comes. Look at verses 8 and 9. These are beautiful verses in Scripture. Adam and Eve have run away from God. They have sewed fig leaves together because they're ashamed. They're trying to cover themselves. They feel like they've messed it all up, and they have. And they're waiting for God to come and to destroy them. Verse 8, in the cool of the evening. There's no heat of anger here. In the cool of the evening, there's stillness in the garden. It's a calm time. And verse 9, God calls, where are you? This isn't a roar. It's not a shout. It's not a golder. It's not filled with anger or with hate. It's a tender call, where are you? Where are you? And God's heart breaks for humanity. What have you done? Where are you? And Adam responds in fear, verse 10. And what does God do? Verse 15, yes, he brings the punishment. Yes, he tells them that they're under wrath, but he provides a promise for them. 3.15, one day the seed of man 
one day the seed of man, your seed will come. And what will he do? He'll, he'll do what you should have done, Adam. He'll crush the head of the serpent. Because in that moment, whenever the serpent slithered into the garden and started to speak in your ear, what should you have done? You should have taken his head and you should have put it under your foot and you should have killed him. But I'll send one. I'll send one who will do this. And so in Genesis 3.15, we have grace and we have hope that the seed, from the seed of woman will come the perfect prophet and priest and king, the one who will rectify all this, who will trample over our enemy, Satan, and who will deliver us from the wrath of God. And so if our heart's exposed, we have this remedy, and our remedy is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who loves us. So as we close this morning, sin destroys. Sin is a disease that infects all of us. It tumbles down generation to generation. None can escape it. It exposes our hearts. Our selfish desires are in our heart to rule, to rebel against God. And with all of the problem, with all of the destruction that we have in Genesis 3, God comes and He calls. And so today, if we're in the church meeting house, if we're up on the hall watching online, we know this. We know this memory of Eden. And today, you are potentially rejecting it. If you have not trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, what you're doing is, as we have talked about this, you're simultaneously attracted to Jesus and to God, but at the very same time, you want to run away from Him, just like Adam. You want to run to Him because He's our remedy, but then your sinful heart, it almost like throws an anchor behind us, and it draws us back and away from Him. But we know our problem. How did we get here? How did we end up like this? Where did it all go wrong? Genesis chapter 3, sin, rebellion, and it's in each of us. So we have a choice to make today. Either we run from God or we run to Him. Either we live in fear of God or we hear His call, and we hear His acceptance and His provision for us, His deliverance for us through Jesus Christ, His only Son. Look at verse 21 with me. God comes, and what does He do? He clothes humanity. God made clothes for Adam and Eve, and these clothes required blood to be shed, didn't they? It's a foreshadow of what's going to come. Things are awful in Genesis 3, but we have this taste that things will be okay. God clothes His people, and then one day through His only Son who will shed His blood, He will clothe us in His righteousness, a garment that He'll put around us, a perfect garment to cover that sinful, dirty, fallen, evil heart that we are born with. And so we're told that He will give us a new heart, a new way of life. So what will you do today? Will you hear His call, where are you? And will you run? Run away from Him or run to Him? Genesis chapter 2, God's people in God's place under His rule. Genesis chapter 3, no longer God's people, banished from God's place, no longer under His perfect rule and reign. The King has created, 
the snake has ruined and the promise has been announced. The question for each of us today is this. Will we go to God? Will we run to Him as He calls, his, calls our name and we hear His voice? Don't try and cover ourselves with fig leaves. It's so easy to see through that. But instead, come and be covered in Christ and His righteousness. Come today. Do not delay. Sin has destroyed us, but God has provided a way. He will deliver us if we trust in Him. Let's pray for just a moment. Father in heaven, we look back at Genesis chapter 3 and we see what a mess. What an awful mess. And as we juggle all of these questions, why do bad things happen? Where does sin and destruction and evil come from? We look at Genesis 3 and we see where it all began. Father, we praise you that Genesis 3 didn't end in a bad place, but that you came and you called for Adam and Eve. And you come and you call for us. Your voice still echoes in our ears this morning. Where are you? And you long for us to come back into relationship with yourself to restore this problem, to deal with this disease of sin. And you love us so much that you sent your only son here for us. Father, may we run to you today. May we not run away. This memory of Eden is inside of each of us. And we can only be fulfilled, only be satisfied if we run to you. May we see your open arms this morning. And may we know your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.